Welcome to 2819. I'm Sandra Dimas. And I'm Daniel Almaguer. And today's topic is a very lighthearted one. Yes. Just kidding. It's death before the fall. In Everyday Apologetics, author and pastor Gavin Ortland talks about Augustine's view on death before the fall. And in Science Faith Connection, Jeff Swearing will chat with biochemist Fuzzle Rana on the difference between animal death and human death. First up is Culture Talk. Sandra will be interviewing Kyle Keltz on the common question, could a good God allow death before the fall? So let's check it out. Now it's time for Culture Talk, where we talk about culturally relevant topics that you can use to start conversations about your faith. And I'm joined today with Dr. Kyle Keltz. Thank you for joining us. Yes, thank you for having me. Yeah, you are a professor of English and also philosophy. I like those two things. And we're <laughs> going to be talking today about a question that people ask regarding death before the fall. And they say, could a good God allow death before the fall? Before we start unpacking, let's first talk about what do we mean by death before the fall? Okay, yeah, and that's great because there are a few things that you could confuse when mm -hmm. talking about this with people who aren't familiar with it. Mm -hmm. uh, when we say death before the fall, I think probably the most important word uh, is, is the what do we mean by the fall? Mm -hmm. And uh, what we're talking about is uh, basically Genesis 1 through 3. Mm -hmm. When we talk about the fall, we're talking about Adam and Eve sinning in the Garden of Eden. Mm -hmm. uh, Genesis 1 and 2 talk about God creating human beings, uh, and he puts them in a garden. Mm -hmm. uh, there's some interesting things. He, he's, uh, his special presence is there with them. Uh, but it talks about them being innocent mm -hmm. and, and basically being en enjoying God's presence and being in the garden. Well, when you get to Genesis 3, it talks about how Adam and Eve sinned and disobeyed God. And when that happens, uh, not only do they, are they kind of stained with sin, but they're also kicked out of the garden mm -hmm. uh, and they're separated from God. And that's what we mean when we say the fall. Mm -hmm. Now, when we talk about death before the fall, uh, that might sound like maybe we're talking about human death, right. but we're actually asking about whether animals died before mm -hmm. the fall. Um, because it's a, well, there's, there's things in Genesis that indicate that Adam and Eve were probably either naturally or supernaturally immortal before they sinned. Mm -hmm. um, but what we're asking is, did animals die before that? Mm -hmm. And so when we talk about death before the fall and animal death before Adam and Eve sinned, from a young earth perspective where the earth and, and all of creation is about six to 10,000 years old, that might not be an issue, but from an old earth perspective, you know, we do have to do the work of answering that question of how could there be long but finite periods of time and no death? So what does that look like? So what is the issue with regard to animals dying before Adam and Eve sinned? Yes, and, and, that, and, and you, got, you got right mm -hmm. at it. Uh, because um, what, what happens is people when you when you read Genesis one, mm -hmm. it talks about God creating certain things. You know, He creates the land and the sky, and then mm -hmm. He fills it with uh, with creatures. And uh, after He creates, it says that He pronounced this is you know this is good. He sees that mm -hmm. it is good. Well, people think that um, because He is all knowing, all powerful, and all good, whenever He creates something and says that it is good, mm -hmm. then there's not going to be any deficiencies in mm -hmm. it. Now, from an old earth perspective, when we look at the natural history of the earth, what we find is that it looks like animals have been dying, uh, they've, they've had diseases, and they've been mm -hmm. suffering. 
for millions of years before humans ever showed up. Right. So, so there's this issue with, well, how do we reconcile that? Uh, when God created animals and he said, this is good, mm -hmm. was he talking about animals that were susceptible to disease and, and dying? Mm -hmm. Right, and then if there, if there was no animal death before the fall, but then there is afterwards, then was there this giant shift in how um, predators how they functioned and, and what they yeah. ate even. So how, how do we go about answering such a question of whether a good God would allow death before the fall and yeah, how do we answer that? Well, uh, there's, there's several ways you can approach mm -hmm. it, uh, philosophical, mm -hmm. uh, biblical and theological ways. Yeah. Uh, one thing I like to emphasize that I think is, it's not much but it's a little helpful mm -hmm. uh, from more of a philosophical standpoint is to uh, just kind of step back and realize that from a Christian standpoint, what we believe is that only God is infinitely perfect, mm -hmm. right? Now, when you think about what the kind of world he's gonna make, and it's gonna be some kind of, it's gonna include, it's gonna be a physical world. Mm -hmm. uh, when you think about it, since only God is infinitely perfect, any world he's gonna make is gonna actually fall infinitely short of his perfection. Mm -hmm. So even if he made a world that initially didn't have animal death in it, this still isn't infinitely perfect. Mm -hmm. But anyways, I just like to throw that out there. Mm -hmm. But um, when we start talking about more theological concerns, uh, some people think, uh, uh, I think, uh, especially like young earth creationists and other Christians, mm -hmm. they think that when you look at um, Romans 5, the Apostle Paul says that uh, death entered creation because mm -hmm. of Adam and Eve's mm -hmm. sin. Now, if you look at that passage closely, though, you'll see that uh, the Apostle Paul is more like saying that uh, death spread to all humans, to all people. Mm -hmm. So I don't think that you can use that to conclude that animal death was a result of the fall. Mm -hmm. And to me, it seems more likely that animals probably were dying before that. Mm -hmm. And I think the key to that is to notice uh, in Genesis 1 where it says that God created human beings in His image. Mm -hmm. Now, a part of being in, uh, an image bearer is that you are supposed to represent God. You know, that's, that's why it's so bad for us to sin. Uh, and that's why Jesus tells us to be perfect like our Heavenly Father is perfect. That's a part of what we're supposed to be is, is being made in the image of God. Human beings are supposed to represent God. Now, um, a, a thing about that, though, is that one of God's attributes is, uh, is, is wisdom, mm -hmm. okay? So if God is going to create His image bearers, and a part of that needs to be wisdom, a, a, a kind of a, an obstacle is that you can't infuse wisdom into people. You know, wisdom is something that's earned, it's not created. So um, what I think is whenever God tells human beings to, to be fruitful and multiply, what he was wanting them to do was to spread out over the earth in his image, you know, always obeying him, but also learning from him and becoming wise in the process. Uh, an interesting thing is that when you study uh, some of the ancient church fathers, mm -hmm. there's a, a, a church father, second century church father, uh, Irenaeus. Mm -hmm. He writes about something similar to this. Mm -hmm. He says that the Garden of Eden, this, uh, uh, this is in his work, Proof of Apostolic Preaching, mm -hmm. and he also talks about the, uh, the Garden of Eden in, um, in Against Heresies. But he talks about how the Garden of Eden was a local paradise, better than this world, and, w and God uh, put human beings in it so they could rule over the earth and so they could learn justice from God. Mm -hmm. 
And then when they sin, he kicks them out of the garden into this world. Mm -hmm. So it's really, it's really interesting. It seems like Genesis 1 through 3 is telling us that Adam and Eve um, were supposed to learn wisdom from God. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, an another thing is um, biblical theologians think that when you read Leviticus, it teaches that uh, the closer you get to God, the closer you're getting to order and life and holiness, mm -hmm. the further away you get from God, the closer you get to chaos and death. Mm -hmm. Now, I think it's highly likely that when God told them that if they touched or ate the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, that they would surely die, they understood what he was saying because they would look outside the garden and they could see that if, if, they're, gonna, if they're gonna eat from the tree, they're gonna get kicked out and they're gonna be in that world of, of uh, disorder. Mm -hmm. So, um, long story short, is that we think if they would have obeyed God, uh, possibly by now, if, if Adam and Eve and none of their descendants mm -hmm. sinned, uh, now it would look, the earth would look like Revelation 21 where mm -hmm. God's presence would be everywhere. Right. So, um, so, you know, whenever God creates animals and mm -hmm. says this is good, he doesn't mean that they're perfect and they don't die. Mm -hmm. He means that they're, they're doing exactly what he meant for them to do. Right. And when you, you know, when you look at science, you see that the world is, is set up so that we've got ecosystems. Mm -hmm. Animal death and predation is just a natural part of that. And it's all for our good so that we can, we can be healthy and, and be alive and right. be humans. Well, and I think you make a good point because sometimes people think that by saying, by God saying very good, that this current world is perfect, mm. but obviously God was not surprised by what unfolded, and so this was very good for the plan that was already in action. Thank you so much for that. If you'd like to hear more about this topic, go to reasons.org and search Death Before the Fall. What can we do if we think that there is a conflict between science and the Christian faith? I'm joined today by Dr. Gavin Ortland, who has some ideas for us to consider. Uh, Dr. Ortland is a Christian scholar and a pastor. Uh, Gavin, in previous episodes, we've been talking about the fact that church history can be a useful guide, uh, can be a useful teacher as we try to wrestle through contemporary science faith issues. And one of the things that you have said that church history can do for us is to help us expand our doctrine of creation. Could you uh, unpack that a little bit for me? Yeah, well, there's two, two examples of that that have been helpful for me personally, um, and they both come from St. Augustine, who's someone I've spent some time reading and I've really learned a lot from. And one of them has to do with animal death, because this is one of the great challenges that comes up, is animal death before the fall of human beings. What do we do with that? And I actually don't think that being a young earth creationist totally takes that off the table, because a lot of young earth creationists admit, well, some animals have to die just to get to day six. Um, but I do think it's, a, it's an issue that needs to be addressed. And I guess I, for some reason, had the idea that all throughout church history, um, everybody saw there can't be animal death before the fall. And that's kind of the default view. And the modern kind of old earth creationist views are, are kind of deviations mm -hmm. from the norm. And uh, St. Augustine was an example that that's really not the case. Um, he talks a lot about animal death he talks a lot about insects. He talks about the beauty of animals. And um, he says we should be careful not to sit in judgment on the way God has made the world. And he uses the metaphor of a lay person walking into a mechanics shop. So obviously in his day, he's not thinking of cars, but machines of some kind. And he's saying, 
how arrogant and foolish it would be for this layperson who doesn't know anything about the machines to start to start uh, making judgments about, you know, well, this one is good and that one is bad. And why do you have this one here? And he says, that's kind of like when we sit in judgment on God's creation just because we don't understand how it works. We're like a layperson. We don't know everything. Um, we should be more humble and careful before saying, well, that's evil. Um, and he says that specifically in the context of dealing with animal death. And I think one of the passages on his mind there is Psalm 104, mm -hmm. which depicts God's work of creation and then his providential oversight of creation in ways that don't seem to have this idea that all animal death and all animal suffering is bad necessarily. And I will grant that this is a tough issue. It has an emotional power to it. But I just think at the very least, someone like Augustine can help us recognize it's not quite so obvious as some people say. And even before the issues of modern science, you have people approaching this in a different way. The other area would be, I somehow thought when I was growing up that um, it's always better for God to create instantaneously than gradually and supernaturally rather than through natural processes. And um, I don't know why I thought that, but um, I did. And Augustine helped me with that because he has this idea of the seminal reasons or causes, and he talks about God sort of implanting seeds in creation that can unfold. And um, that idea can be misused by uh, evolutionary theorists. He's not talking about evolution per se, but he is saying that God can create through intermediate causes and that when that happens, it's no less a display of God's wisdom and power. So if a tree, you know, if I'm on a hike with my son and I say, Isaiah, isn't that tree beautiful? God made that tree. Um, you know, if the tree came about through a seed and water and sunlight and time, that's not at all at odds with my statement that God made it. Um, and I remember learning about the moon. Where did the moon come from? And the scientists say they just actually discovered this recently, or they've theorized it recently, that it was a meteor hitting the earth and scattering debris, and then it slowly coalesces. And um, let's say hypothetically that that's in fact true. Does that give less glory to God as the creator of the moon than if God had just said, poof, there it is? Well, I, I don't think necessarily that's the case. Um, either way, um, it's God who's doing it. And I believe God creates through both natural and supernatural means, but I think they're both a reflection of his wisdom and power. And St. Augustine was someone who helped me think about that. Hello, Jeff Zorink here, and welcome to Science Faith Connection, a segment of our show where we explore important scientific ideas and see how they relate to the truth of Christianity. Today I'm joined by Dr. Fuzrana, and we are going to be discussing the difference between animal death and human death. Fuzz, good to have you on the show today. Thanks, Jeff. So, obviously, everybody dies. Humans dies, animal dies. Uh, but why are we talking about animal death and, and human death? Uh, what's, what's the significance of this topic? Well, you know, um, recently primatologists have studied uh, chimps and, and their response to death, and they've dis discovered that they respond to death in a way that indicates they understand that members of their community have died, and they actually have a, a death response that seems to indicate that they actually are mourning uh, the loss of those individuals. So, for example, 
uh, mothers who have infants that die will continue to carry those infants around with mm. them after they've died. They'll carry the corpse around and they'll swat away flies, they'll groom hmm. uh, the okay. corpse. Uh, and it can be several days, even uh, several weeks that they'll carry around this corpse before uh, they actually let it go. So this kind of has a connotation where we mourn our dead. If, an if animals are mourning their dead, the distinction between humans and animals may not be as great as what we think. That's, that's right. Yeah, that's okay. right. And, and for adults, there's even a, a much more pervasive response to the death, uh, to the death of adults among chimpanzees where they will, uh, in some instances, strike the body apparently out of frustration or trying to revive the body. Mm -hmm. They'll stand a, a vigil over over the body, they'll they'll sniff it. They'll uh, there's like a it seems like a, a mourning process that's mm -hmm. underway. They'll sometimes they'll groom it. They'll keep flies away, and then when the body's disposed, a lot of times they'll revere that site hmm. that becomes almost like this this special site that they either will return to it and visit, or sometimes they'll avoid the site as well. So there seems to be again this very real emotional response to death. Uh, in chimpanzees that many people see as kind of like the antecedent mm. uh, to our death responses as human beings. So as I'm listening to your language there, there's, you know, they revere, they, they fear, they're uh, mourning. Those are very human terms. And so it's kind of loaded. I'm kind of curious, what is the actual behavior that they're seeing? Um, is there a way to separate the behavior from the motivation, if you will, because your mourning is one thing, you know, but if you're picking flies off, that could be, that, that's, an, that's an activity as opposed to a, right. a, th a thought, if you will. Yeah, well, you know, and I mean, a lot of people who work as, uh, you know, animal behavioralists will point out that we really can't know what's going on mm -hmm. in an animal's mind. There's, there's no way you can really truly know that. We try to draw an inference based on the behaviors that we see. Mm -hmm. and, it, and it does appear as if there is uh, some kind of genuine mourning that's taking place or a recognition that there has been a significant loss, mm -hmm. right? Uh, but, you know, is, is I think as you're hinting at, there, there's a tendency that we have as human beings to anthropomorphize. Mm -hmm. We attribute human qualities to, to machines to, uh, and to animals. Mm -hmm. And the concern is, could people studying the behavior in this case of chimpanzees and their response to death really being imputing human qualities mm -hmm. to the chimps that really don't exist. So I presume in this, you know, where there was the site where the, the chimp died, that where they revisited or where they avoided, that there was some sort of statistical significance to how often they came there. Right. And then the question is, what is the significance of that activity or the grooming that would go right. on? Um, <laughs> What, by what sort of measure would they say, okay, we're aware that something, that the chimpanzees are aware that something has happened, that this, that this other chimpanzee is dead? Yeah, well, you know, um, it, it, it's really the sum total of, of, of you know, the responses. Mm -hmm. so, so, for example, you know, uh, the, 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 the group tends to be much more, uh, you know, somber okay. and, and they, their activity is diminished. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's almost as if they recognize, again, that there's a very real loss that, that's taking place. But there, there are some animal behaviorists who say, uh, you know, that, that this response that they have to death actually uh, serves a, a critical function mm -hmm. within the chimpanzees that may really 
be a better explanation than the chimps are actually mourning the loss of the individual. So for example, the mother that continues to carry the corpse around. Well, that you could argue is essentially a behavior that would reflect a very strong nurturing mm, relationship okay. that the mother would have with the infant and that, that, that chimps who refuse to give up the corpse of the child would otherwise be very good mothers who would be so attentive mm -hmm. that it actually would improve the reproductive success. Mm -hmm. Whereas mothers that would tend to give up the chimp the corpse very quickly or the infant cor corpse very quickly mm -hmm. may not be sufficiently good mothers. And so kind of a byproduct mm -hmm. of this is that they end up carrying around a dead corpse that we interpret as being mourning or, right. but it may be something else. Or when- so, so, so it sounds like there's some very real behavior that is going on right. that looks a lot like the way human, or at least it, mm -hmm. it connects to the way humans do things. Right. And then there's the question is, what's the explanation for that behavior? Is it kind of just propagating the species the best way, or is right. it actually the connection with humans? Right. Well, you know, and for example, with an adult, when an adult dies, depending on the stature of that adult within the group, uh, that, that death is going to force a, a restructuring mm -hmm. of the hierarchy of the group and the relationships in the group. And could this, this death response be a way in which the, the chimps are kind of coming to grips with the mm -hmm. fact that there's going to be a restructuring that takes place. Is this so, so there really the is it's a societal type aspect or a, a social aspect that's right. going on right. that whether, I mean, you know, that that's there and they're figuring out how to, do, or, you know, they've got right. to deal with that at some right. level. Right, and, it, and this is, of course, still very different than how modern humans mm -hmm. respond to death through funerary practices, where these are highly ritualistic practices mm -hmm. that are designed to honor and celebrate the person who's died, designed to comfort those people that have loss. And, and there's also a sense that this is part of the process of ushering that individual into an afterlife mm -hmm. if there's a you know, if people are religious. And so, right. you know, it's, that's a very different response than I think what you're mm. seeing with chimps when you look at functionally what, uh, what it's accomplishing within chimps versus uh, in humans. Mm -hmm. So how does this, when we look at this behavior as Christians work at RTB, how do, how do you think about this sort of behavior? Does it support our position on uh, creation evolution or is it more naturalistic, if you will? Yeah, well, I mean, again, there is a, a tendency that people have to view this as being an evolutionary antecedent to our mm -hmm. death response as modern humans. But another way to look at it is that these animals are, are soulish animals, as, as, as Hugh Ross describes in his book, Hidden Treasures in the, in the Book of Job, that, that they're, they're soulish animals, they're the nefesh animals mm -hmm. that have soul-like properties, mm -hmm. which means they're intelligent, they have an emotional capability, so they very well could be responding to this death as, as loss, but it also, again, has certain functionality mm -hmm. within, within the species. So I would see this as being, again, part of God's design that reflects the nature of these creatures and also has a, a very important function in the social structure and the reproductive fitness of the, of the group. Whereas, again, I, I see a very sharp distinction between the, the funerary practices in modern humans and, and chimps, where we really are showing evidence for symbolic uh, behavior in, in the way we practice uh, you know, our response to death. Well, thanks, Fuzz. I appreciate your comments. You know, when we look at life here on Earth, one thing that's indisputable is that all life dies. Humans die and animals die. And the question is, 
do the way we respond to death show that animals are like humans or are humans and animals exceptional? And what I love about what Fuzz has brought to us today is that he shows that the way animals behave actually reflect the way scripture describes these remarkable animals. And it shows that that's very different than the way humans do things. You know, I would encourage you to go to reasons.org and check out Fuzz's two-part article on this, Chimpanzees Respond to Death Like Humans. It gives you some great resources to help you use this remarkable discovery about how humans and animals deal with death and show that Christianity really is true. We hope this episode has helped equip you to share your faith with compassion and confidence. You know, it's such a big topic, death before the fall. There are so many different paths that one can take and just kind right. of addressing some of the concerns and some of the issues. I really like what Fuzz had to say about just anthropomorphizing animals and kind of just being careful to not do that and put too much into the behavior that they're exhibiting. Right, and I really appreciate how you and Kyle Keltz um, really helped show like what death before the fall actually is mm -hmm. made it more clear for me yeah and don't forget subscribe to the show and search for us on facebook twitter and instagram we are at 2819 show and if you want the audio version of the show you can find us on most major podcast services just search reasons to believe podcast see you next week see ya